Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I am your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I am joined today by an incredible guy. He is a property investor. He's a businessman. He's a public speaker, and he is an all-round good egg. So I'm delighted to welcome Mr. David Siegler to the podcast. Yay! Thank you, Jeanette. (laughs) Thank you. I've I've just spent 10 minutes telling you why I didn't think I should be on your podcast, but here we are. (laughs) And I absolutely refuted that perspective, David, and said how I think you are the epitome of brave, bold and brilliant. So we're going to get into this. Yeah, well, okay. so let's share with um, just just a headline, right, that I don't think I'm brave, bold or brilliant. So I just protested to Jeanette right at the 11th hour here. But she told me to do it anyway. So here I am. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely so david talk us through your journey give us give us the highlights well it could take several hours to get to the summer of 1964 Jeanette. but i'll give you the edit i'll give you the edited version Please. Uh, so um i went out i came out of university in 1977 with a law degree chose not to go into the profession i went into the family business because my dad at that time um he painted a picture of it being an easier pound, and I'm all for an easy pound, right? So I went into the business, which was retailing. We had retail stores, clothing stores. I was down with the kids doing all that stuff. Young hearts run free. And um, for some 30-odd years, uh, no, 20, 25 years, I um, was absolutely key to running the retail business. And during the course of running the retail business, we got the opportunity to purchase some of the sites, the freehold of some of the sites that we occupied as tenants. So the business was a tenant and we we picked up the properties. And I didn't really know what I was doing. So the first one was in 1977. It was my first property investment before I bought my house (laughs) was a, a shop with upper parts. And I wasn't sure why I was doing it, but I knew it was a good thing to do because I did know at that point, although I wasn't educated in property, that to have property and have it on your balance sheet, over time the value goes up and it it makes your balance sheet look really smart. So that was my um, first introduction to property. Didn't really grow till we got into the mid-90s. In fact, that property that we acquired in 1977 had three stories of offices above it. And Jeanette, I didn't even go up there for years, decades, (laughs) right? I mean, occasionally the weather came through, right? And we had to go and have a look what was going on. But it wasn't until 1997 that we converted those three floors of offices into flats. And I still have that building today. So I didn't really get it, right? It was only later when I stopped retailing, which was pretty much in the mid-90s. So the family firm ultimately failed, the retail firm ultimately failed, took um, 30-odd years to fail. 1992, I know you're too young to remember, Jeanette, but there was a bit of financial unpleasantness when we were expelled forcibly from the ERM. I remember. I was an economist back then, yeah. Well, there you go. Overnight interest rates of 30%. Oh, how we laughed. And um, anyway, it was a recession followed and we couldn't, we lost 50% of our turnover in 18 months. That's very hard to manage. Um, So the business failed, but we retained the buildings because the buildings were in a a property company separate from the trading company. We were our our own tenant. And then um, I spent a few years in the wilderness doing odd bits and pieces. And then property became the focus. So the deal at our end, myself and the wonderful present Mrs. Siegler, um, we did a deal because she had a good job. I was very keen on property. So my role was to build our property portfolio. 
and um, she kept body and soul together. So that's what we did. Uh, the um, buy-to-let mortgage was born only in 1996, as recently as that, um, which people may or may not be aware of. Yeah. Before that, you had to get commercial loans, 30% deposits, that sort of thing. Uh, and then they went to interest only, right? Interest only, because yeah. originally it was all capital repayment. So they were kind of helping us. They didn't like us as landlords, but every time there was a bit of a roadblock, they helped us. They found another way of helping us. It's not quite the same now. Um, and so I started buying 2004. Somebody said it would be a good idea for me to go to Manchester. Why? Because I'm basically Brighton. Well, you say <laughs> that, Jeanette. But I, did, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I'd seen it on the telly, Coronation Street, all that malaria. I didn't, it didn't look great, did it? Let's be honest. Okay. So um, he dragged me kicking and screaming up the M6. And I was there for about 40 minutes before I got in the swing of this thing. You could buy like Kit Kats in those days, you know, little terrace properties. I think when we started buying, we were in the 30s, high 30s. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's only 2004, five, right? Um, and, um, you know, you could but raise finance was completely different then. You could do it on the phone. If you could mist up a mirror, <laughs> you were in, right? And, um, prices were going up 10 grand a month at one point you know it's hard to hard to realize now it's a different world and then 2008 everything stopped so the 39995 got up to 99995 mm. and then by 2010 11 12 it was back to 49995 uh, and then on the 24th of uh, January, so I, I retired, 2008, I retired. That was it. That was me done. I didn't think I was retired. My wife came and asked me one day if I was retired. And I said, no, retired. I'm a young man, right? Um, I'm just between property deals. And she said, well, that's cool. But the last one was three and a half years ago, right? And then I realized, I started looking around and I started getting emails. I'd, I don't know, I must have subscribed to a webinar or something or bought a set of CDs. And Rob Moore and Mark Homer were going to do a talk at, oh, gone out my gone out of my head. Sylvia and Jeswant Ray ran a, uh, the Berkshire Property Meet. They ran a networking group, and uh, a room, and what a room it was. Every month there were 200 people there in Maidenhead, Slough, the Holiday Inn. And I went up, and because Rob and Mark were there, and I'd heard them, you know, on my computer in those days. I'd say laptop now, but one of those big wind-up box things. Uh, and, I sat, and, and I sat on the end of the aisle, Jeanette, like that. And Rob came down the aisle. And he was he stopped and he was talking to the room. He was right there. I could touch him, right? <laughs> like a hero to me. Anyway, I rushed out and I bought my CD set with which I got two free tickets to multiple streams of property income event. I spell it out because probably you and many of our listeners will have gone through that journey. And then on the 24th of January 2014, I went to Progressive for three days with my wife, right? It was great. You know, we saved on the heating at home and we stayed in the uh, Premier Inn. And um, after that, I was in, really. That was me. And the rest is uh, where we are. So that wasn't too long for the story. Was it shorter than some guests you've had on? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I like to give people a chance to talk and then we pick it. We go into the details and pick, pick things from there. So brilliant. Thank you, David. And we're going to talk a bit more about property and stuff. But what I'm really interested in is kind of that like early start you had in business, in retail. And you, you said that your, your dad said it was an easy pound. Um, but my experience of knowing retail is that it's far from that. It's a very tough trading environment, actually, probably one of the toughest you can have. So I'm just kind of interested in, you know, those early years in business, really, how that influenced you throughout sort of the course of your, your business life and, and, you know, having a nose for a deal and all of those kind of things, really. Did it help or did it hinder you? Well, you see, I don't remember it as being hard back in the day. So maybe my memory is, you know, playing tricks on me over the years. But I remember in the 70s, which is when I got involved in it, because even when I was at school, 
right on Saturdays I was involved I was mm. involved helping my dad go and fill up his car we took his zodiac estate to Nottingham where Wrangler jeans in those days um, had their headquarters and we filled it up with 350 pair of Wrangler jeans seconds we bought seconds right now I don't know if you know what 350 pair of jeans sitting on the floor look like <laughs> getting them into a zodiac and then driving it back you know it, we were on the floor I mean basically we we're on the floor you know this is not <laughs> so all that stuff was fun right I enjoyed yeah. all that stuff and getting you know if, if people wanted something and seen it on top of the pops on Thursday night because this is how it rolled in those days right and yeah some young listeners might not get the references but every Thursday top of the pops you'd see a check shirt you know that um, I don't know, Nick Kershaw was wearing, okay. <laughs> and I'd run off to um, Ilford where one of our shirt manufacturers were and, and we'd have that shirt in the shop for the following Saturday, like 10 days later, right? Yeah. It was so much fun, right? And, you know, it was it was easier then. I don't know why it was easier then. Retail today is dying, it's struggling. Um, because I have those properties, obviously I have tenants who are retailers, I mean, they're at a tough time pre-COVID, right? So COVID's made it worse. Uh, so it's changed. So you say, you know, retail was really, really tough. But actually, it, it, I thought it was easy and fun. And we were opening shops every 10 minutes. It was easy to get leases. It was easy because we had accounts and, you know, we had a history. And um, I always borrowed money from the bank. I never had any trouble borrowing money. So people say to me, David, where did you get the money to start, right? I borrowed from the bank. If Barclays Bank wouldn't lend me the money, I couldn't do it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I did through the 70s and 80s. It was not a problem borrowing money from the bank. So long as you, I mean, I never did a business plan or a formal presentation, but as long as you were sensible in what you're asking for, it was never a problem. Yeah, so, and how was it? How was it? How was it working with your dad, David? Because it sounds like you said you had a lot of fun. Did you learn a lot from him? Was was that was he a real big influence in you in terms of like mentor or kind of yeah. for you? Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, he was a character, Jeanette. He was. Um, um, he was born in 1917. Right, he left school at 14 with no qualification, so he walked straight into the Great Depression of the 30s. Right. Mm. scrambled around doing anything, all sorts of capers, to try and earn a few bob. And he was just getting on his feet in 1939 when World War II. Yeah, this is it. And he volunteered and off he went. And um, he actually volunteered to go to Iceland. And he became the only British winter warfare instructor. All the rest were Norwegians for two years in Iceland, living and fighting in the snow. Wow. And he did that, and then the British Army, God bless them, sent him to Delhi. Oh, uh, oh my God. <laughs> uh, and um, the rest of the war was uh, uh, for him was in Delhi. So he came out in 1948 with not much, and he literally started with two armfuls of shirts, got on the train and went to the market and sold the shirts. And then mm. rinse and repeat. So, yes, I had a massive regard for him. He had, he had nothing. He was self-made. Um, he was uh, slightly bonkers. But, you know, aren't we all? Yeah, yeah. And it's so important, isn't it, role models? You know, people talk about mentors and how important that is, and I 100% agree. But I think sometimes when you look back in your life, you, your first mentors were very often, for a lot of people, their parents, weren't they? Mm -hmm. and, you know, what you learned from your parents in an early age, and especially having the chance to work so close to your dad, it must have been a really special time for you both, actually. Yeah, um, but then I was growing up, I was, you know, in my late teens, going into my early 20s, and, um, you know, there were frictions there, as in any, you know, I was growing up, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> when I wanted to buy a house, because um, he he never bought a house. He, he and my mum lived in rented accommodation their whole life, because that's what you do then, yeah. right? You went out and you found a landlord and you rented, but I wanted to buy a house, um, and the, stre the stress over that. He could not work out why uh, the Alliance Building Society, as it was then, uh, would lend me 27 grand 
to buy a house. Why would they lend it to you? Look at you. You know, you've got nothing. Why? You know. So he just didn't get it. Um, it wasn't that he wasn't competent, capable of getting it, but he never had the education, never had the background, never had a mentor, never had anything. Yeah, yeah. So did you just, just pre- you obviously pressed on anyway, regardless. Did you try and bring him with you on, on what you were trying to do or did you just sort of accept that he wasn't he wasn't going to get it and you were just going to do it anyway? Um, it, 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 it's not a happy ending to this story. He had a massive stroke in 1979. Oh, I'm at sorry. At which point, well, it's a long time ago now. It's, it's Still, but it's not easy, yeah, yeah. And in the past, where he struggled on uh, being not very well for about three years and passed in in 1982, very similar age to the age I'm at now, right? Mm, mm. Um, and and actually, since then, I've, I'll share something really private with you, Jeanette, because nobody else listening, right? But Absolutely. Only within, within the four walls of my end, has this ever been discussed? So circle, um, circle of trust. Yeah. So. Um, my granddad passed away, my father's dad, uh, when his son was 27. And my dad passed away when I was 27. And my daughter was coming up for 27, right? And um, I was very stressed about that. Um, she's 31 now. So I'm kind of, uh, maybe I'm over the hump, but it might come and get me late. You never know. Um, so that's where we are. Yeah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, you've you've actually gone on and done some really incredible things. You know, you obviously had the business in retail, you've got into property and, you know, the public speaking and the training that you do, which arguably came sort of, you know, a later phase for you in your career. Um, has that helped you then just sort of grab those opportunities, you think, David? Because in the back of your mind, you've had that little thing in your head around age and time and things like that, or, or not, do you think? There's two or three things there, right? So um, there's you know, our brief conversation before we went live here. Um, I, I think what I've been allowed to do and shout out to Rob Moore, who has allowed me to do these things over the last four or five years on the stage. It's been an absolute blessing uh, to get the opportunity to do something that you are, I would never say I'm good at it. Others have told me I'm quite good at it. Um, but to do it that late in life, you know, uh, is, is absolutely brilliant. Just looping back to my dad. My yeah. dad taught me, and he had no idea, obviously, what was going to go on. But, uh, you know, I've been selling things since I've been 16, standing in the shop on Saturdays and stuff like that, different mm. stages, right? Um, I'll, probably not for this episode, but my one of my black periods in life, I sold life insurance uh, for four or five years. If you can sell a pension, Jeanette, you can sell anything, right? I'm <laughs> drawing pictures in the air. But I sold quite a lot of life insurance. Um, my dad told me, right, many, many times that, if you could speak, if you could talk, if you could communicate with people, if you could sell things, you never want for anything. And he had no idea of what I was going to be doing from 2015 to, 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 to 20, where, where, wherever we are today. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there is a bit of a history there repeating itself, yeah. Yeah, God, fascinating. And and talking about selling, David, because, you know, a lot of people listening, it, they, they're absolutely fearful of selling, you know, that it, it fills them with dread. They might be quite good communicators, but when it comes to actually selling and closing a deal and all of those skills that come so naturally to you after so many years, what sort of advice would you give to people that, you know, because it's a, it's a core part of business, isn't it, really, being able to sell um, in, in the right way. So what, what tips would you have for people? Okay, well, let's park the it came so naturally bit and maybe look back to that. Okay. okay. Because I'm not convinced it comes naturally. However, um, I think if you believe in what you are offering, I don't believe I've ever sold anything to anybody, but I have pointed out the opportunity that lays within, right? Mm. And uh, people who do what I do, trainers and coaches in the um, property world, get a bad rap. They do. Yeah. You know. And um, I've, you know, I've thought about that in my mind. Am I really one of those people? And, you know, till my last breath, I'll tell you I'm not. And the reason 
that I believe in what I do is because I don't want to give the wrong impression, but I have come to know Rob Moore and Mark Homer pretty well, fairly well. We're not best buddies, you know, we don't socialize, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I've spent a lot of time with them in their company and they are the real deal. And I know the ethics that drive them. And I try and distill those ethics down and, and use them in my business. And what I offer, I believe in. So it's easy. If you believe in it and you know it can help somebody, they have to meet you halfway and actually do something. Sometimes that's an issue, right? Mm, mm. You know, just, just buying a book or buying a training you know, you have to read it, you have to implement it, right? I know, but that's where people get stuck sometimes. Yeah. Um, then, you know, it's that's not selling for me. That's just the joy of sharing the opportunity. Because, yeah. you know, I've been doing it long enough now to see people who have implemented and got the benefit of the opportunity. So I've got no issues at all with what I do. Because not everyone succeeds, but if they try, those that try, large majority of them succeed. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's not necessarily practice makes perfect, is it? But practice definitely helps, you know, because it gains your confidence. And like you say, if you fully believe in what you're selling is serving, you know, uh, I suppose it's a, it's, a, it's a click of the switch in the mind, isn't it? As to, you know, thinking of it differently. Well, I think perfect practice can make perfect. So it depends what you practice. What are the mm. important things? What are the two or three things? So we're talking about um, somebody implementing strategy or me offering strategy, right? The principles are the same, right? What are the two or three things that are going to make you money, right? Either mm. implementing property strategy. If you practice the two or three things that make you money instead of having oh, I haven't set up my website yet, David. I can't do anything, you know. I haven't got my business. This is version 32 iteration F of my business card, you know. I'm I'm not happy with it yet, you know. It's all works, right? I haven't had a business card for five years, right? (laughs) I haven't got a website, right? If I can't write their number on the back of my hand, then it's, you know, know, text them or something face-to-face. So they got my number. Um, so perfect practice makes perfect. You know, practice the things that make you money, and the things that make you money are, are very limited. There's only, you know, there's only three things with with property, Jeanette. And am I heading? Am I taking us off down there? No, no, go, go for it, go for it. Okay, we t- there's only three things that can go wrong with property. Only three things, right? Um, number one is marketing. Doesn't matter what strategy you're in right? If you are not marketing your business as a property person, then no one's going to see you. No one's going to come to you. No one's going to be attracted to you. You're not going to get the deals or the investors that you deserve. So marketing market, if you're not, if it's not working, number one, have a look at your marketing, right? Number two, sometimes you will get something coming from your marketing and you don't understand what it is, right? You don't see the opportunity. Oh, I had mm. a deal come in, David was rubbish, right? Really? Every, there's something there. There's an offer there for everything. And number three is the most unpopular one, right? Because it might actually be about you or the person or whoever it is. And mm. maybe in your heart and soul, you don't believe in it and you don't want to do it. You know, just because you bought a training course doesn't mean you want to be a property magnate. You know, mm, mm. I bought plenty of stuff. I'm looking around this room. I bought, you know, never opened it, right? Because actually, I shouldn't have bought it. You know, um, that's it. It's very simple. You know, if you've got those three things: marketing, recognize the opportunity, and put your heart and soul into it. How far wrong can you go? Yeah, and 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 it and the role of purpose, David, and being clear on why you're doing stuff. Is that, a, is that, would you say that's a key part as well for people? What's your motivation? Well, your why. Your yeah. why. Okay, yeah. so um, I've thought long and hard that I've, I've looked everywhere for my why in cupboards, <laughs> under <laughs> Do you know what? Um, one of my mentors, um, you know, I, I, I think I agree with him more than the other one of my mentors who um, – 
I'm of the school of thought that it is sufficient for money to the accumulation of wealth to drive you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's self-limiting, or it has been for me, because I want to earn money, and that's why I do what I do. But actually, I'm a man of very modest needs. <laughs> yeah. And when you get to a certain point, I can't be bothered anymore, Jeanette, because probably got enough. And then something bad will happen, and your reserves will go down, and so I have to go back to work. And I think, yeah, I'll build it up, and then suddenly it's, well, it's quite a lot again. You know, how, how, how many, you know, how many dinners can I eat? Right? Oh, I can eat more than one dinner. I can, but how many? You know, how much money do you want? Yeah. So um, my desire wanes as I get away from the nasty place where I feel stressed. Yeah. Yeah. But we're all different. Yeah. Right? So you're either moving away from something or moving towards something, I guess, with purpose. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, and I'm, I'm more moving away yeah. from, from nasty stuff than moving towards the mountaintop where, you know, I can see the other side. I can't be asked to see the other side. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay on this side. <laughs> Brilliant. I love, your, I love your honesty. And let's talk about that, actually, David, because, you know, you're, you are authentically you, right? And authentic leadership is all the thing, right? But when you're public speaking and, and, and you're in the limelight like you are in the world of property, because despite what you say, you are very well known in the world of property. You know, you've got, your, you, you're, you've got an element of stardom around you, shall I say, in that space, whether you like it or not. But you are you, aren't you? You don't try to be any anything different, I don't think. You might be a slightly more magnified version of yourself if you're on stage, but, you know, your personality shines through. How, how has that helped or hindered you, do you think, with what you do today? Well, I think it's done both. It's helped and hindered. And, and uh, one of the nicest compliments I ever had was the very first time my daughter came to see me speak, and she came to a multiple streams of property income event in London. Uh, and she came to the hotel, and she'd never seen me do the Pullman. We're at the Pullman in London, which you've been to that event. Yeah. Um, and she sat at the back, and the team made a fuss for it. It was all very nice, right? And she sat there. And, and afterwards, nervously, you know, because I was hosting that week, I came to Charlotte, what do, you, what do you think? And she said, oh, it was great, Dad. I said, oh, how, why was it great? Well, she said, it was like you are at home, only bigger. And, and I thought, first of all, it was a very smart thing to say because, obviously, she's a very gifted child. And uh, secondly, um, that's what it's supposed to be. You know, you're not supposed to be somebody who's false and putting on airs and using language on stage they don't use in real life and, and being someone they're not, pretending they've done this, that, and the other, right? I'm never the big property, biggest property investor, right? I've just done enough. I've done enough to get me where I want to be. And um, I don't, well, hand on heart, I have never knowingly inflated who I am and what I've done. It is what, you know, I sell a few deals, right? Mm. You've never told, heard me say I've done thousands of deals because I haven't and I couldn't live that long, Jeanette, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've probably done close to 300 now. I think that's quite a lot. Think, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, so I've completely forgot what question you asked me, but no, I'm hoping that about being more. about being your authentic self, David, and about how that's helped or hindered you. Yeah, it's so wearing to be anything else. Now, it, 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 okay, so it's helped in terms of it's easier for me to communicate because I'm not trying to be something I'm not. It's hindered yeah. in that it shows warts and all, all my deficiencies and self-limiting issues that I've dragged with me through life for 66 years and will probably carry on my shoulder heavily as I descend into my grave. Oh, God. Can we get the violins out? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you do fantastically well on stage. And, in fact, that's where I first encountered you when you were uh, were, uh, presenting and you got helped us get into property. So I'm forever grateful. Um, But for someone that's wanting to get into public speaking, David, and maybe they want to do it, but they're nervous and they think, oh, gosh, you know, I've got a strong accent or something about me is maybe an aspect of their personality that they don't see so favourably. What would your advice be to them? 
I think the skills as a, a speaker um, are so important to your career at whatever level you you use those skills. So there are skills of communication with contractors, right, with your insurance broker, with your mortgage broker. If you're working with investors, you have to communicate the, the, the vision and how it can be fulfilled, uh, making their investments secure. So it starts off at communication at one level. Now, I wanted to be on the stage, right? And I, I came home and spoke to Cheryl and said, yeah, I want to do it. It's another training course, Cheryl. It is, right? Five days of my life, this one. Um, I think you've done it, Jeanette. You? I have done it, yes. It's quite, yeah. uh, quite, quite. Um, I don't know, groundbreaking, I suppose. Quite revolutionary, isn't it, for you? Uh, it was extraordinary five days for me. Yeah. And, and I, um, I got to the end of the second day and I was ready to pack up. You know, why? Why? You know, why have I got to follow this ridiculous system right and why can't they, why won't they just let me stand up there and talk you know and um so that's day two and everyone gets to that point on day two or most people get to that. some people don't even get to the end of day two <laughs> i've seen that as well um i wanted to do it i wanted to be on stage i when i first went to multiple streams of fight the three-day multiple streams event january 24th uh january 24th 2014 right i sat there and in those days rob moore used to run the whole event basically he presented every slot right into, that's what he did and he changes stripy shirt five times a day it's to the extent i started counting how many stripy shirts he was wearing <laughs> over the course of the weekend and I, I came away from it and i was talking to cheryl and i said um okay so i invested in, in a bit of training i did okay yeah. But that wasn't the interest for me. I want to be the bloke on the, in the stripy shirt up on stage, which sounds ridiculous at that point, right? Because he was young and trim and fit and looked the part and had the stripy shirt. And I'm twice his age. No, well, what am I, 25, 25 years older than Rob? And, and I'm, you know, a bit chubby and sort of stripy shirts don't look quite the same on me as they do on him, right? And it's it's ridiculous. And uh, to realise that three years later I was hosting that event on his behalf uh, was unimaginable, just unimaginable. So how did that happen? I just threw my hat in the ring and I I wanted to do it. Mm. Rob saw something in me. Um, He's never really told me. I've never really asked him. But, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing unless it's all down to Rob Moore. Rob Moore has said on various occasions, David, you're going to do that. And then, David, you're going to do that. And then, David, you're going to go there and do that. Right. And there's been very little interaction or analysis. But I just did what he told me and turned up. And that was it, really. Why was it so important, do you think, to want to be on the stage and and be up there and... And, ha- and have that vision for yourself. What, what was it? What was it you were trying to... Well, my wife's got a theory. It's a shame she's not here just sharing this conversation because she would tell you very firmly that it's, 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 it's for the last, you know, nearly 40 years, it's always about me, Jeanette. It's all about me. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so this was just an extension, right, of who I am and what I do. So being you know, the centre of attention up on stage was no surprise to Cheryl whatsoever. Um, <laughs> I would want to do it. The other thing, of course, that she came to this with, she knew I could do it. More than more than I knew I could do it. She knew I could do it because she knew who I was and, you know, she'd seen elements of it. Um, so it, it was fine. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. all about me. It's all about our centre of attention with the spotlights go. The lights go on and, you know, I'm in a different world, Jeanette. That's how it is. Uh, well, that resonates because I'm a bit like that as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> a, bit of a, a bit of a show off. It's all about the adoration. I suppose we're looking for for sort of well done, you know, affirmations that you're good enough and, and looking for that. You know, certainly I think that's that's something that I recognise in myself. You know, it kind of makes me feel good if people say, oh, well done, Jeanette, that's great. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I can hear it. But talk, talking about your your beloved partner, Cheryl, Mrs. The current Mrs. S, as you always refer to her, which always has an air of mystery, mystique about it. <laughs> well, well, people do ask me, Jeanette, you know, the present Mrs. S. How many Mrs. S's have there been? 
Right. Of course, natural question. Truth to tell, there's only ever been one, right? So I did find her dancing around her handbag in 1974. Uh, I did. And she keeps turning up every day. Um, so there's something going on there, right? Um, but I find the reason I refer to her in that way is I find after 30 odd years, they can get a bit complacent. You know? so <laughs> I like to keep on the toes, although I've been told very firmly that that is a two way street, you know. So, yeah, I yeah, I get it. <laughs> Absolutely. But you, you, I just want to pick up on uh, one thing you said, apart from the, the sort of the comedy side of, of the story, there's an important point here, isn't there, about having a supportive partner and about other people seeing things in you that maybe you don't see yourself. So you yep. talked about Cheryl and you talked about Rob, two people that maybe saw something in you that possibly you didn't even see yourself or recognise in yourself fully. Um, how, so, so talk me about talk through that a little bit, David, and, and kind of how important that's been, you know, people recognising and kind of giving you that encouragement and push. I think it's very difficult to do it on your own. I think you have to have people around you who think you can do it. And we mustn't overstate this, I'm, you know, I'm not you know, uh, likely to be nominated for an Oscar or find myself on a stage with Tony Robbins at any point. You know, I mean, that's not going to happen. But within my little world, um, I've done okay. Actually, I'm going to go further than that. Now, this is unusual for me because you, even you told me off for being a bit negative before we came on. Because <laughs> um, I've now done multi-speaker events and I've seen the big names in the industry, in our industry, in our niche, right? Yeah. They're no better than me. They are no better than me. They're different to me. I hear you, right? But I'll tell you what, um, I did my training with two world-class speakers, so I don't know who did your five-day ESR training. Yeah, Robert. Robert Albright did mine. Okay. So my two trainers were Daniel Wagner, who you may or may not know because um, he's kind of retired from the world now, but he was a world-class speaker uh, and, and just superb. And Paul Preston, who equally has had awards as a world-class speaker. They were the t my two trainers, right? And Daniel came over to me on day three or day four. You've heard this story, but I'll, I'll tell it again for the listeners. Uh, and he said, David, I've been listening to you, and, and you know, you're all right. You're like a, a little hand grenade that pops off here or there, you know. He said, but if you if you stick with me and do what I tell you, I can turn you into an Exocet missile. And I thought, oh, I'd like to be an Exocet monitor. That sounds really cool, right? Um, so did I ever get to um, becoming an Exocet missile? I'm not sure. Um, but I think I've moved on from popping off from like a little grenade. So, um, yeah, without those encouragement, I mean, I've blagged my way onto Rob's first speaker boot camp. I wasn't equipped to go, right? And I, I wasn't good enough to go. Um, but I blanked him and he, he let me go. Um, why? Why did he let me go? I don't know. Well, he saw potential, right? Yeah. I think I offered to pay as well. That might have helped as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the ingenuity, that's the creativeness yeah. in you, David. Always one, always more than one way to skin a cat, right? Yeah, well, I got him. I got him in the toilet, the gents' toilet upstairs at Progressive. He went in. I thought I got him, so I'm in there, and he's doing he's doing his business. And and men have got this communal area for ladies talking, you know. And I'm on him while he's going to the loo. And in fairness, he listened politely. And he said, well, I'll go and talk to the team. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, David. Um, I have to see what places are there. To, you know, I think, we're, I think we're booked up. I said, well, Rob, whatever you say, you know, let me know. So I went back into the room and event started again. And about five minutes later, there was a tap on my shoulder. It was Rob. And he pulled me out to one side. And he said, I've spoken to the team. And we got one place left. No, really? Spooky, that. Okay, so that was it. I was in. But there's, there's a big lesson here, I think, for people listening around grabbing opportunities. And, you know, you, fair enough, you cornered Rob in the loo. <laughs> so, you know, that was one tactic. 
But the point is, you put yourself out there. You 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 know, you didn't just sit there and wait for it to come your way. Um, and I think that so often people are waiting for opportunities to be presented to them. And actually, you know, normally you do have to do some stuff. You have to put yourself out there and you might get a few rejections. You might get lots of rejections. But if you don't ever try and put yourself out there, you know, things aren't going to happen to you in the same way as they could do if you took control of your own life. Right. And destiny. Yeah. You know, so yeah. look and look where it's led, you know. And in fact, David, what might be quite nice is just to do a bit of um, uh, an overview of, of what you've got now business wise, because you, you've got multiple hats. Obviously, we talked about the public speaking, the property. But, you know, do you want to just kind of summarize really where you where you are now with everything you've got going on from the business side? OK, um, gosh, right. Um, so as a property investor. Uh, I've got a buy-to-let mortgage held pretty much between Cheryl and myself, right? We've got that jointly. I've got the commercial portfolio, which goes back to my retailing days, uh, Shops with Uppers. We, we love that. Um, and that's jointly. I'm jointly involved with my brother there. Uh, he was involved with the business, obviously, from years ago. Um, in terms of packaging deals, I'm actively packaging deals. Uh, we just set up a new alliance, which is very exciting and is apparent. Probably more for my podcast, the Property Horsing Profit podcast, than for yours. Um, so I'm going to share the details there of what we're doing going into 2021, 2022, because I think it's going to be a very exciting time for people who want to get into property now. Mm -hmm. I really do. And then there's the training business, um, which has been affected by COVID. I mean, I don't think I'm giving any trade secrets away there. I personally have been less active, um, certainly over the latter six months rather than the first six months of COVID. Um, but, you know, I'm an optimist. Uh, Jeanette, I think this will, like all things, this will pass. I've, I'm due to have my jab tomorrow morning as we're recording this. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll go and have it. And let, I'll let you know if um, I start picking up Channel 4 in my head and things like that, <laughs> 5G. And all that. Um, so that's, that's me, really. Um, I, I'm in a very fortunate position at the moment where I can do what I want to do. And I'm allowed to say no to things that I might have done 25 years ago, but actually don't want to for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, there are people out there with much bigger businesses than me. So my business is what I want it to be. And, you know, what, honestly, what do I want? I'll tell you what I want today, Jeanette. This is what I want. And I don't think it's unreasonable, okay? I want to go and stand in the sunshine and I want to go and hit a few golf balls. That's it. That's what I want, right? So I've got a car. That's, <laughs> I have a haircut sort of once a month. I'm not, I'm not very expensive to run. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You're low maintenance. Low yeah. maintenance. This is good. This is good. Yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got a watch. I bought a watch. But I don't need it because it's, you know, the time's on my Fitbit and my phone and stuff like that. The reason why I'm I'm trying to tease this out of you, David, is because you are incredibly humble. And when we started this conversation before we press record, we had a, an interesting um, conversation around, you know, being brave and bold and, oh, I'm, I'm nothing really special, etc. And what I said to you was, well, I disagree wholeheartedly with you, actually, David, because I think what you've achieved is, is massively inspirational. So when you've just gone through all of those list of different businesses and different ventures that you're involved in and the fact that you're incredibly content with your life and you don't want for anything because you've pushed yourself out of your comfort zone and, and put yourself in the way of opportunity, even as humbly as you describe it, I think is massively inspirational for people because, you know, it shows that, you know, anyone can really achieve what they want in life as long as you you know, you, 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 you know what you want, you put yourself out there, you take action, you're prepared to deal with the failures along the way. And so I think that's, that's incredibly brave and bold what you've achieved, even if you don't see it yourself. 
Yeah, well, so to fill in the gaps very quickly, we had a conversation just before we came on, and I indicated I was feeling a bit of an imposter syndrome. I had a bit of imposter syndrome creeping in because the title of this podcast is Brave, Bold and Brilliant, and I'm none of those things. (laughs) And you've invited me a couple of times to speak, and I've I've avoided you, and you you didn't know why until today (laughs) because we do speak, but I've been... So uh, brave, bold, and brilliant. I'm certainly not brilliant. I'm actually very ordinary. Uh, I can apply myself um, sensibly, and I think rather than being brilliant, that's I turn up and I do stuff, right? And I've struggled with the concept of being brave and bold. Uh, I'm not quite sure how they're different, but they are definitely different in my head But to define it in words. But I'm not really very brave, Jeanette. At the end of the day, in a difficult situation where you are required to be brave or die, <laughs> capitulate, then I'll stand up and be counted, right? But it has to go to that point. Otherwise, you know, I can't be bothered having arguments with people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, the imposter syndrome kicks in. But now, honestly, David, you've achieved a huge amount and, and it's inspiring. And, you know, you you sometimes talk about age and about, you know, doing these things at a later time in your life. And there's a lot of people that will have conversations in their head about, well, I'm not this or I'm not educated or I'm not young enough or I'm not the other, you know. And, and actually, that's all nonsense, because if you if you can tell yourself a different story um, and actually do push yourself out there to do some stuff, I think that is brave. Um, so it's how you define it, isn't it? It's, it's a perception. Um, but no, I think what you've done is, is incredibly inspiring for people listening, actually. So I, I still maintain my position of disagreeing with you. <laughs> well, it would be impolite of me to, to disagree anymore. So I'm just going to say thank you, Jeanette. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I Excellent. No, that's great, David. So just a, a last few final questions, if I may. Sure. Um, so what would you think has been the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Yeah, yeah, the best piece of advice. I've got, the reason I'm hesitating, Jeanette, is that there is a best piece of advice that I've been given, and it's gone out of my head. And as I'm talking to you now, my brain is working at 300 miles an hour to dig it out. Um, Can you think of the I, worst piece of advice, David, maybe then? The worst bit of advice was somebody asked me if I was sure when I told them that I was going to get married, right? That was the worst bit of advice because um, 38, 39, 39 years in, right, uh, probably the best decision I ever made was to marry Cheryl because she's been there for me and I've been there for her when and as, you know, and she's pretty smart. there's no flies on Cheryl right Uh, but she has different skills to me and complementary ones and uh, wise counsel always okay so um, that was the worst bit of advice I was given are you sure right yeah Um, the best bit of advice I was ever given what's going to happen is this is going to end and then about you know Eight o'clock this evening, it's going to come to me, Jeanette, and I'll text you in a message <laughs> what it is. Okay, I'll tr- I'll try it. I'll try it from me. If anyone's asking me, yeah, do that. Okay, make sure you turn up, right? Make sure you turn up, and make sure you do what you're supposed to do, and and that I think characterises my journey. And if you're happy to get halfway to the mountain top. And just have enough, you know, of whatever it is that you want. You can get there, right, just by turning up, showing up, right? And I mean fully showing up. I don't mean physically being there, but your heart not in it. So I showed up yeah. and I did what I did what was required. And I think those two things can carry you quite a long way. Yeah. Brilliant advice. That's great. And now I'm going to ask you the final question, David, which is what does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you? Well, you see, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I, just, I, I can't align myself with it because I see other people and think, oh, he's, he's, that's brave, that's bold, that's brilliant, right? Um, 
it's overcoming adversity. It's been in a really difficult situation. Um, I look at the Paralympics, Jeanette, mm. and that's brave, bold, and brilliant. You know, I've never, I've been blessed, really, because, you know, it's 66 years old, but, you know, I've, I was blessed with a, a decent bit of kit here, and, and probably I've abused it too much over there, not appreciated it. But, um, you know, people with physical disability, my, my niece, my brother's daughter, um, was a brittle bones baby. Mm. Uh, she was born with 38 fractures, right? And she's 30, she, they said three hours when she was born, three hours, then three days, then three weeks. She's 33 now. Wow. But she's never walked, right? And um, she's had a huge amount of problems. That's brave. That's mm. brave. See, but when I talk to her about it, she will say it's not brave because she had no choice because mm. that was the card she was dealt. But that's what, what I see courage there. That's where I see courage. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, that, that, that's fantastic, David. Thank you ever so much. I've loved hearing your journey, your story, your comedy moments, as always. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I eventually managed to drag you on, so I'm very cool. appreciative. <laughs> Jeanette, I hope it served your podcast and your listeners. Um, Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. And where can people find you, David? Okay. Uh, on Facebook, David Siegler. That's my profile. Message me. I look at my messages every morning. Uh, sometimes if you finish up in that weird requests box, I don't see it every morning. Uh, but that's a really efficient way of getting hold of me, Facebook. Um, yeah, that that's it. There's no websites, there's no there's none of that, Jeanette. It's just me. Well, we don't need any more than that. Just you is just enough, Dave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks ever so much. Thank you, Jeanette.